You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Anyway, Pele, if you're listening, get in touch. Let us know about your views on penalties and or erections. The women's Euros are underway. England under-19s are already champions of Europe. And unlike this UK government, we are completely in support of our leader here. I'm Andy Baxter, and this is Pint of Football, the nation's drunkest football podcast. And with me tonight, it's a man who always likes to drink at a work event. It's Daz Napton. All work events are also drinking events in my industry. There's a sort of a lot of overlap if there's a if it was a Venn diagram, isn't it? Yeah, the great thing is tomorrow I start off my shift with a meeting at a brewery because I'm going to have a one o'clock meeting, hopefully with a few beers before I actually get to work. I mean, it'd be disappointing if you couldn't get a beer at a meeting, presumably with the view to buying some of their stock at a brewery. Well, I think what it is, they're going to actually make um, a beer for our theatre so presumably they're going to want me to curate and decide the flavour and style and all the rest of it so they can make it. Well, they're going to want you to like it, ultimately, so you try and push it and get people to try and sell it, and it's good for everyone, then, isn't it? Exactly. Before we get into the main topic tonight, you just have to let people know that our third comrade, Tom, he, um, he got back from the scouting mission, but now he's being called up as the fourth official, I believe, in a Mexican third tier, a third tier league game. Yeah. So yeah. I'm sure he's having a great time. The thing about Tom is he's very adaptable, isn't he? He could be out scouting in Lebanon one week, picking out wonder kids in Beirut. And then before you know it, he's over in Cancun. Absolutely. Trying to calm down some rowdy Latino managers. Same as last week. We wish him well on his trip and. Sure, we, we'll, uh, we'll have him back soon. 
yeah, I'm not going to wish him well this time because I know he never listens to these when he's not in them. <laughs> the egomaniac he is. <laughs> so what we're here for, we're here for part two of our history of penalties campaign, which apparently, because we're a lot slower and less professional than the, the highbrow podcasts, apparently we've, between releasing part one and part two, there's already been a big boy podcast has done the exact same thing. Yeah, I, I couldn't believe it because they're doing similar to us. There's no sort of real action to talk about. So they're talking about other bits and bobs from football history. And then, uh, yeah, there was a, a penalty-themed episode that came out. So a lot of the the same points that we made, I was, you know, ours is obviously more in-depth about 1800s football because that's kind of our thing. But, um, yeah. you know, it's... Uh, it, it, it's nice to see that either great minds think alike or they're stealing content from us. Did they have an opening quote about penalties? Not as far as I know. So here we go then. A penalty is a cowardly way to score. Wow. What do you think about that? Um, do we know who said it? Yes. And when I tell you, you'll probably... You probably think like, it's an obvious person to say such a stupid thing. It was Pele. Pele? Yeah. Well, he's got some odd opinions anyway, especially in sort of later life. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, he, he did also claim like goals he'd scored in weird exhibition games count towards his total and stuff. <laughs> so I'm not sure he could. Yeah, not penalties, though. He <laughs> doesn't count them. <laughs> no, apparently not. I would have thought he, he'd, he'd have loved it, wouldn't you? Um, so are we are we to take from that that he didn't take penalties? Well, this is what I was going to say. If he scored, how many did he score? Like 700-odd goals in his career. How many times was he a coward? Do you think he was just bad at them? Yeah, I reckon so. I reckon he missed one in training, got ripped to shreds by the rest of the Brazilians and then thought, well, that's it now. I'm just going to... Yeah. Never again. Never again. But yeah, no, serious question. How many do you think he scored in his career out of 700-odd goals? How many were pens? 50. 50. So what would that be? That'd be like one in 14 of his goals. Probably like three a season. Not unusual. He is a man of his word. He only scored, for club and country, six penalties. Wow. That... I mean, maybe he was quite good then because if he scored all his others from open play, yeah, maybe we should give him a bit more credit than just this sort of weird parody figure that he's become, wanting to make diamonds out of his own hair and <laughs> not being able to get an erection and things like that. Well, yeah, maybe that's why, in a similar way, he's not been able to get an erection. He couldn't get the excitement for a penalty kick. And instead, he just decided it was a cowardly manoeuvre. So maybe if he took more penalties, he'd be more... Anyway, moving on. <laughs> or, or he thinks getting an erection is cowardly as well. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Pele, if you're listening, get in touch. Let us know about your views on penalties and or erections. Maybe, maybe he got an embarrassing moment where he went to take a penalty, got an erection and then missed. We'll put him off. Who knows? I mean, shorts were a lot tighter back then, and I suppose it'd be quite 
respective mm. if you're trying to do your runner. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, let's recap the last one because this is going to just <laughs> descend into madness. Yeah. It was the invention of penalties, which was by an Irish businessman called McCrum. Fabulous. Basically, what they were saying was there was a need for punishment against those dirty handballers. No one was worried about the fact that people were getting two-footers and kicked in the face and all that sort of stuff. It was purely to try and punish people handballing it. The early rules and the first English league penalty were both included in the last episode, which was Billy Heath. Wolves became the first team to miss a penalty. Harry Allen shot over the bar against West Brom, and that was the first miss of a penalty. So we covered all that amongst loads of other nonsense. But what about the first ever penalty? We covered the first penalty in England. We didn't cover the first ever penalty, did we? No. And I presume it was not in England in that case. Well, it, was a, it was actually in Scotland. The first ever penalty awarded officially in world football occurred just four days after the rule had been added to the laws, which... Makes it sound a bit suspicious. I reckon the ref was just dying to try it out. Yeah, they've had like a meeting before, like before the game with the two captains or the managers or whoever, and just said, you know, yeah, don't be surprised if uh, it's like that scene in Father Ted, isn't it? When they say um, the last uh, raffle we went to was actually won by those people who organised it. Yeah, yeah, it's along those lines. But the first penalty. It was June 1891, and it was given to a team called Royal Albert FC. And they were playing against Adrianians at Mavis Bank Park. It was 15 minutes into the game. And according to a match report in the Coatsbridge Express, the referee pulled up Mitchell for throwing Lambie. Throwing him? <laughs> yeah, and granted a foul under the new law. So the irony was they obviously brought this rule in to stop handballs and then the first one given was actually for a, a foul, a professional oh. foul or whatever you'd, you'd call it these days. Mm. And my favourite thing about it is the name of the first scorer. And we were huge admirers of Oldie Day's names. And this oh, isn't yeah. this isn't like on that level of, what was it, Earl of something or whatever he was called. What was he called, that guy? Uh, oh, flipping out. John the Conqueror? Yeah, that was it. <laughs> yeah, it's not quite John the Conqueror, yeah. but it is James McLuggage. Right? It's a name that I've never heard before and I don't imagine I will ever hear again. So I'm guessing after he finished playing football, he went into bag design or... Oh, he invented luggage. Travel, yeah, travel to accoutrements. He invented luggage, but then the problem was Scotland at the time wasn't the most fashionable place. So they decided that he would have to drop the muck because they thought it's just going to sound too Scottish. Mm. You know, he's, he's like, we've already got tartan bags to put it in. We can't call it muck luggage. It's a bit too in the face of the, the English. They will never go for this. But he scored it. They won 2-0 and it helped them to lift the Airdrie Charity Cup. There's a lot to like about this tale so far, not least that you sort of skimmed over it. The team name and the ground where it was played as well. They're two lovely 
name was Mavis something, wasn't it? Mavis Bank Park. Yeah. Right, I wonder what ever happened to Royal Albert. Well, yeah, they probably exist under a different name now. A lot of the older names are, aren't they? So I think then the next natural point to move on back because we, we've obviously been doing a lot of research into the weird and wonderful world of the 1800s and early 1900s in football. And I thought rather than just carry on reading like last time, the changes and developments within the rule, I thought I'd dig into some research topics. And I actually thought that one of our favourite characters that we've come across in the history of football, Willie Folk. And I thought, massive fat goalkeeper who used to batter everyone. I wonder what he would have thought of this new rule. Well, does it, it could go two ways here, couldn't it? He, because he was quite an imposing character, he's either got a great record of facing penalties or has some kind of record for giving away penalties because he's just so big and clumsy. <laughs> I think you've, in both instances, hit the nail on the head there because I found an article. <laughs> and this, this is what it says. Referring to penalties, this was a tactic that was used often by Willie Folk, a player known affectionately as Fatty Folk. Owing to his size, he was six foot three inches tall and weighed about 23 stone. I love it that they're referring to Willie Folk, a goalkeeper, using giving penalties away as a tactic. (laughs) Yeah, it's not great tactic I suppose you think someone would have a word with him but yeah okay as the player prepared to take the penalty against him folk would run out screaming all sorts of abuse at the taker and trying to intimidate him because don't forget when it first came out it was the 12 yard line and they would essentially have to run at him which you would not want to do I do like that because it just gives an extra layer of, of tactical nuance to it. I kind of wish they had it these days because what do you do? Do you wait for him to come out and try and nick it past him? And I mean, or do you just try and run quicker than he can and mm. put a past him? I don't know. It's, it's just interesting, isn't it? You know, we need more changes in football because all the ones at the moment, sorry to bring it up to the modern day, but all the ones at the moment seem to be detrimental with these, like, robotic offsides and VAR and all that kind of carry on. Yeah, exactly. But the good thing about Willie Folk and his absurd offensive behaviour when facing penalties was it did actually lead to some further developments, which um, obviously we talked about last time. And what happened was he was saving so many purely through intimidation that they had to introduce in 1905 the rule that the goalkeeper must stay on the line until the ball was kicked. What a waste. So I think people were just getting so scared of actually taking a penalty against him that they had to tell him, basically they were putting him on a leash by keeping him on his line, which is harsh, but... As you've said, these days, the penalties are so edged towards the forwards, it would be good to bring that rule back, I think. The keepers can just run out and shout as much offensive, you know, slur against them. Yeah, there's not enough. They, they call it sledging, don't they, in cricket? Mm. Which I don't yeah. know why, because it's just sort of like abuse or, like I don't know, bullying or something, isn't it? But it's, um, it seems to be encouraged in that. 
Just yeah. a quick one on a semi-related note. When you said about sort of podcast favourites that we, we talked about in the past, it made me wonder if Wilf Minter had any interest in penalties. Wow. I um, did have a little look and I found some weird cartoons that the uh, the newspapers of the time have drawn Ooh. about him. And I've just sent you a link. I know it's not a great audio feature, so we won't sort of spend long on it, but I can't figure out what he looked like based on these because he looks very different in all of them. Very different. And it's strange. And then I found another guy who played for St. Albans. Um, it, he was oh, he was 95. He only died in, in 2020, so we could have interviewed him. Never mind. I don't know how much he would have remembered in the old days, but it's... Uh, yeah, there's lots of these people who played in the in the sort of very early uh, 1900s and stuff. No, well, not that early because he wasn't born, but you know, in the 50s and and, and... Christ, yeah, there's so many different drawings of him. You could actually open a Wilfred Minter art gallery. Maybe we should cut that bit out the show in case uh, someone steals the idea. Yeah, I know these are a big podcast are secretly listening to us. We're basically like the script writers for these famous potties, aren't we? When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Going back to the Willie Folk story. So you know how I just told you that they had to adapt the rules for him, which is obviously quite a big achievement and a, a credit to the man. The yeah. man was. Also, Willie Folk is also responsible for one of football's most famous phrases. Okay. Are you ready for this? Do you want me when to guess what phrase it is? Yeah, you can do if you want. I'll have one guess because this could go on for hours, wouldn't it? Couldn't it? Um, I will say, Christ, I should have thought this through before I agreed yeah. to guess. Um, the onion bag. It's not that. <laughs> let, me, let me tell you. When his side, Bradford, played Accrington Stanley, he couldn't wear his goalkeeper's top because it clashed with the colours worn by Accrington. His size meant that they couldn't find a shirt big enough to fit him, and so a white bed sheet was obtained from one of the houses close to the football pitch. Can you guess what the oh. phrase is yet? Clean sheet? That's amazing. Folk played the entire game without getting a mark on the sheet, with Bradford winning the game 1-0. As a result, the phrase, to keep a clean sheet, was born. That's incredible. 
<laughs> yeah, you know, what? I always thought it was like short for like score sheet or team sheet, where they'd like the referee would mark, you know, and hand in a thing saying this is the scorers and things like that. And if you hadn't conceded, your side would be clean. I mean, also logistically, how did he wear a sheet? Was it like a, like just wrapped around in like a toga or like a, a ghost costume? <laughs> yeah, it's like when you see the uh, the poor kids at school. <laughs> it's Halloween. Yeah. Just have a bed sheet with a, with um eye holes cut out. I'd like to think he did the eye holes thing as well. <laughs> he just cut like a circle through the middle of it and put his head through it. No, I don't even think he did that. I think he put the bed sheet on his head, cut the eye holes out, and then would would wear a flat cap to keep it in place. Oh see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's like like a ghost. <laughs> I hope that's true. I really hope that's true. Mm. Yeah. Um, another very small anecdote that I found when looking into the early days. Overall, there was a lot of confusion and the set piece still needed further development. For example, in September 1891, a referee awarded a penalty kick against a goalkeeper who lost his temper and kicked an opponent, even though under the 1891 laws, this offence was punishable by indirect free kick only. I kind of like that. I like that the goalkeeper just booted someone because, you know, why not? But it was I also Willie Folk again. It was absolutely Willie Folk. I, I also think, um, I think we touched on it last time briefly, saying that an idea to sort of revolutionise things will be that not every offence in the penalty area will be a penalty. And this mm. kind of ties into that because if, if they said they awarded a, an indirect free kick, yeah, maybe that's that's something. I mean, because I think the opposite show. I was going to ask you about this later in the episode, actually, about sort of changes and improvements we could make. But I think, you know, and get in touch about this if you, if if you feel strongly, guys. But um, I think denying a goal scoring opportunity wherever it is on the pitch should be a penalty. If you put the ball through on and your striker's running through from the halfway line, or the famous one, um, uh, what's his name in the Euro final on Sterling when he grabbed him by oh, yeah. Chilini. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I can't remember the exact situation if Sterling was going to be through on goal or whatever, but that's a flipping serious offense. And it's you know, it's it was cheating, it was just a professional foul, an intentional foul. Um, mm. he was lucky to stay on the pitch and that kind of thing. I don't know. I need to tweak it a little bit. I need to work out the sort of nuts and bolts, but I think there's something there. Yeah, I think you might be right. It oh. annoys me. Sorry to go on. It annoys me <laughs> a lot when you hear commentators or match of the day or whatever saying, oh, it was a clever foul to give away or he's taken a booking for the team. That's bollocks. It's just legitimising cheating and it's, it shouldn't be allowed. So that kind of thing. There you go. Deliberate fouls and cynical fouls. Penalty. Ooh. Well, let's see, because I'm going to read through a few more of the historic changes. We'll see if any, if that even, if that might have been considered at some point. You never know. Probably not. Fast forward to 1923, where they decided that all other players that weren't involved in the penalty, aka the striker and the keeper, were required to be at least 10 yards away from the penalty spot which is where they developed the penalty area rather than it being the whole line. When this rule was made, apparently there was a diagram, which I've got here, which showed the referee 
how to place the other players. And it was basically like around the, the rectangle of the box, it would be like home player, away player, home player, away player, home player, away player, home player, away oh, player, wow. home player. So that it was really like strategized so that you couldn't have people standing strategically in different areas, which it kind of seems a bit pointless. It does seem a little bit like waste a of time. But equally, I don't know if I hate that either. Either way, the drawing is literally just like circles. Uh, X, circle X, circle X. And then they've even put like inside left, centre forward, inside right, right half back, outside left. Imagine like if he pulls this map out and he's like, right, you there, you there. Because they didn't even have numbers back then. No, (laughs) and the the positions were all nonsense, as you just said. You know, people who were inverted half backs or like, yeah, I don't know, (laughs) you see wingers. Seven years later then, it was decided that goalkeepers could not move their feet until the penalty has been taken. You know, that's, so seven I mean, years must must have had like hardly any penalties scored or something, perhaps. Yeah, and then in 1937, an arc, which is the D outside of the box, was added to assist with the enforcement of the ten-yard rule because obviously it's it's measured for you then, isn't it? Sort of around there. So that's when that came in. 1939, it was specified that the ball must travel the distance of its circumference before being in play. I don't really get that. So if if you can kick it and it doesn't travel a whole size of a ball, what happens then? Can you kick it again? Is it a foul? I'm not sure. Not taking it? I don't know. I, don't, I mean, could you, I, just keep, could you just keep tapping it? I don't know. Until you get closer and closer. I don't know, but basically, in 1997, the rule was eliminated. So it it lasted for about 60 years, and they decided that as soon as the ball had been touched, it was in play. But then in 2016, they kind of reversed that, apparently. I didn't know this had happened. And they specified that the ball must have clearly moved, whatever that means. I mean, you think the penalty is such a basic thing. You just run up and boot it in. And yeah, why do, why do they need all the, why does it need two episodes of us talking about it? It's just kick it in, it's just kick it in. We haven't even mentioned that time Arsenal with Henri and Perez did that weird thing either. Oh, yeah, that is true. Yeah, that was funny actually. There's been other successful versions of that, hasn't there? But I think I remember Barcelona doing it, I think mm. Messi and Suarez, maybe. Yeah, that did work a bit better. What else has it got? In 1995, so we've skipped way forward now. We're almost in the modern day. 1995, all players were required to remain behind the penalty spot. Um, and I'm, okay. I'm guessing that's to stop people being like on the goal line at the sides of the box. Which, little waving and stuff. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I guess. Um, I don't see why that's a problem either, though. If it's anything, it's, it's actually, yeah. If it's the defending team, they could... I don't know. No, I can't see. Oh, whatever. I don't care. Well, the Scottish FA had an opinion. They claimed that this new rule would eliminate various problems which have arisen regarding the position of players who stood in front of the penalty mark at the taking of a penalty kick as it presently permitted. I think it's basically in the eye line of the attacker, albeit mm. 
at the sides. 1997, they once again allowed it so that the goalkeeper could move his feet. And also they changed the rule, which is a great one, that the goalkeeper had to face the ball. That's written into the law. <laughs> As if before there was a guy stood... Just facing into the net. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure why that rule was needed to be added, but I do no. enjoy I do enjoy that it was added. Did he sort of pause for a second and then spin round theatrically and try and guess? I don't know, because that, that's, you think if you can do that and save the penalty, then fair enough, that should be allowed. If it's in Scotland, I reckon it's to do with the amount of goalkeepers that were wearing kilts and mooning, mm. mooning the opposing strikers. Yeah, good point. Got to be that. That's the only logical explanation. Great. And then, and then the only other things it was the differences between fainting and you know all this like run up, stop, run up, stop, do a little twirl, kick it, don't kick it. Well, I'd be interested. Thing. I'd be interested to hear the official wording on this because I feel it's sort of crept in recently more and more because you used to see people slowing their run up slightly but then just sort of kicking it in a fairly orthodox way. But I feel mm. the last couple of seasons has become more and more commonplace and it drives me mad. You well, don't see is... it in the Southern League, do you know what I mean? No, definitely not. This is what it said in 2010. Fainting to kick the ball once the player has completed his run-up is considered an infringement of Law 14 and an act of unsporting behaviour for which the player must be cautioned. Oh, okay. So it's basically saying as long as you finish your run-up, you can't faint. But it still doesn't stop you doing like stop, start, stop, start, stop, start. Is there nothing in the law about that? Because I was fairly sure once you'd started your run-up, you couldn't stop. You could slow, but you couldn't stop altogether. I'm, I'm obviously wrong. But... So what it says, it does say, fainting in the run-up to take a penalty kick does confuse opponents, but is permitted as part of football. But that was 2010. I'm not sure if there's been any further amends mm. to that. But I do remember that one, that Italian guy, that you remember he did that like, Seems to take about 20 minutes. He was a, I can't remember what his name was, but he played for West Ham. Is it like Zaza? He played for West, that's it. Zaza. Yeah. Simeone Zaza or something. That, yeah, that, that rings a bell. And he ran up for what seemed like an age, and then he literally just punts it out of the stadium, didn't he? Yeah, never, one of them that's still, still travelling. Yeah, could never recreate that. But yeah, basically, in a nutshell, that is the history of penalties. And in my opinion... It is the best set piece of the game. But also, as I said at the start of the first episode, it is the worst way to settle a game. What else would you do? What, have settle a game? Have we got time for that now? Yeah. Settle a game? Just, yeah. just simple. Just bring back golden goal, but with no time limit. Just keep going. Yeah. Eventually someone's going to get bored, aren't they? Do you know, I think the reason they stopped that is really mundane and boring. And I may be wrong. It may have just been anecdotal that I heard it. But I thought it was to do with stewarding and policing. And they mm. didn't know what time the game was going to finish. So they couldn't be sure when people were going to leave and everyone was going to, you know, be heading out and stuff like that. And so for security reasons. And so they can train and brief the staff. Mm. That was why it was. Yeah, it's... Uh, yes. Stadium having to pay the uh, casual bar staff for an extra 12, 12 yeah. hours. Exactly. Well, yeah, exactly. 
still going yeah. on and on and on. Or if it's not finished after half an hour, another ball is introduced. Or a player gets taken off from each team. Or the, the very wacky an American run-in penalty thing, I think, is better. Because that's that's about the strategy and skill of attacking with the ball rather than it just being a kick, isn't it? It is. And you could still form format it like a shootout where both teams get X amount of goes and sort of a bit of a, a routine to it then. Yeah, that, that, that'd be all for that. Mm. I also uh, put in my summary notes here that I don't believe that a penalty is down to luck, which I'll ask you your opinion on that in a minute. And finally, my sort of conclusive trying to work to improve VAR, which at the moment is obviously dreadful and means I don't watch any top flight football, really. I think VAR, especially with regards to penalties, would work better if it was like tennis. And obviously it's quite topical at the minute because Wimbledon's on as we, as we do this, where each team has the option to challenge one decision and if they get it right. So rather than every penalty, every decision going to VAR, there's, a, there's an option for the team to appeal that decision in the form of a challenge. And then if they're correct, they, they obviously get to make another challenge. If they're not correct, they've wasted it and it's still a penalty. I like that. I like that a lot because for the TV viewer, we'd get to see, oh, they should have appealed that one and it would mm. have been given in their favour, but you don't know and it's not not for them to know. Because I think as well, I think it would give the the VAR system a lot more respect because it's not being used all the time, but it's there if it's needed, which is ultimately what it's supposed to be there for, isn't it? Mm, absolutely. They do need to tweak that because certainly the second half of, of last season just finished. There was a the, the the referees were going over to the little screens more and more. And like ninety percent of the time they went over to the little screen, it was being overturned, which you know is probably the way to do it. But that that's almost like the upstairs referees telling the downstairs referees that they've got it wrong rather than have a look at this and maybe you might rethink. It's they were saying, actually. This is not the right decision, which probably shouldn't be the case. It should be try and make the decision again, given all the angles and given the extra time to think. I don't know. Maybe I'm arguing the same point twice. I don't know. I, I think um, the big question then, which I'm going to ask you, is is the one that I've just already answered myself. Are penalties just luck? Does does a penalty shootout come down to luck? Is is it just the luck of the draw? Does it really? Is there really going to be a team that would be the best penalty-taking team in the world? Or is it eventually just going to be that San Marino might one day be able to beat Brazil on penalties if it went if it was ever just set up as a match? Just just have a World Cup of penalty shootouts. Who do you think would win? Would it be the best team in the world? Or is it more down to luck? That's a very good point. And it's probably an interesting experiment because that's a specific skill in itself. Like you watch these videos online of these freestyle footballers and whatever, and they can do every trick under the sun and manipulate the ball in ways you could never imagine. I bet they can't play football. They're great with tricks, but you put them on the on the pitch and they wouldn't know what to do. And it's possible, like it's a sort of like American football when they have specialist players that just do one job and then leave again. That's it. You'd, yeah. you'd end up with sort of a specific role. Your job is a penalty man. That's it. Yeah, didn't it happen? I know it wasn't in the same way, but didn't David Beckham 
that one World Cup where he was a bit old and I think he was injured. He went with the team in like an ambassadorial role. And I think it might have been South Africa in 2010, maybe. He was there. He was like training. He was basically part of the coaching team, but he wasn't one of the 23-man squad. It was the year Walcott went anyway. But Mm. I was thinking about it. How good would it have been if we could have just took him, had him on the bench just for set pieces? Yeah. It would have been perfect, wouldn't it? I think when a player gets to that age where they're not old enough to be like the star player anymore, they've still got the best free kick in the world or the best corner in the world, I think it'd be ace to just have him on the bench just for that. Maybe not throw-ins because you really... <laughs> Imagine like Rory Dillap going to every world yeah. cup just because he's throwing skills. Yeah. So yeah, do you think penalties are just luck? I think there's an element of luck in anything in football, really. Hmm. I mean, I'd like to say, I wouldn't like to say, because if I wanted to say it that much, I'd look into it. But, you know, the sort of best place to put a penalty, you know, do you score more for putting them into the top left-hand corner if you're a right-footed person, for example? Or, hmm. you know, the bottom one of the corners, so, you know, hard and low into the side netting kind of thing. Or, like you said last time, just boot it down the middle. It's hard. I mean, there is an element of luck in that because... You can have a penalty and the, the commentators will say, oh, he's calm and he was, you know, composed and all that. But if the goalie gets the correct way, it's an easy save. So maybe it is just luck. Anyway, what do you guys think? Let us know. Pints of football 2015 at gmail.com. Or on Twitter at POF underscore reviews. And that's that's probably it, I think. So have we I don't know, have we actually <laughs> We've got to the end of this two-part episode. Have we decided that penalties are good? Are they are they worth keeping, or is there a better way? Well, I think we decided that we like indirect free kicks inside the area, mm. and we don't particularly like penalty shootouts. One one thing that we've both touched on is this sort of definition of different grades of things should be penalties, or like you said, indirect free kicks, or or whatever. And that is something that I am actually quite interested in because when I used to play defence, if I was like centre-back and the ball was somewhere near the corner flag but still in the box, you know, that little area where nothing can really happen. Hmm. I I feel like if you're in that area and there's definitely no goal-scoring opportunity, I think there should be a bit more leniency in what you can I don't feel like as a defender you should be scared about them falling over in that part of the field because it's it's not a dangerous area you can have players who are 20 25 yards out who will smash it into the top corner from where they are and that's a more dangerous position than in that little bit at the edge of the box so I do wonder I think that what should happen is I think it should be like there should be two different levels of penalty based on the offence. Now, I'm not exactly sure how I'm going to word this to make it sound good. If it's a handball on the line, you know, that's obvious, isn't it? Yeah, of course. If, it, if it's a last man foul where he's in on goal and he gets swiped, they're the two things for me that are obviously going to lead to a goal. So therefore, that has to be a penalty in my opinion. There's no escape in that. But I think non-clear foul or accidental handball in the box. So, you know, that area I was talking about, and you see it quite a lot from, like, crosses 
player like does that, hits him on the arm. Mm. The cross is clearly going nowhere, or it's definitely not a goal-scoring opportunity. I think that's where you'd either have your indirect free kick or how about still having a penalty, but rather than it being from 12 yards on the spot, it's from 18 yards. That's interesting. Because then, you, yeah, it's it's a harder shot, but it's still a sh- just a shot you against the goalkeeper, isn't it? So that that's um, yeah, I like that. The way to the way to sort of judge that what you've said to a degree would be possibly to reshape the penalty area. Yeah, narrower, but further yeah. out. Yeah, you're basically flipping it ninety degrees. Yeah, because then you've got the sort of because I, I agree with what you say. Centrally, a foul on the edge of the box, it could just be just as damning and as, as sort of um, a good an opportunity. Well, no more so than a free kick sort of in the cornery bit. Mm. You know, in the in that sort of nonsense area in the, at the corner, which will still be a penalty under the current rules. Yeah. Yeah, I like it. We need to write to someone. <laughs> yeah, just pretend we're Irish businessmen. <laughs> <laughs> we'll walk into the next FA board meeting with our briefcases and our plan to reshape penalty boxes. Would an 18-yard kick be any harder to score or would it actually be easier to score? Because if you saw Roberto Carlos hitting those 30-yard free kicks, they're probably more unstoppable than a penalty because they've built up that momentum of speed. <laughs> So the rule is he can just run up from further. Maybe that'd be that'd be the way you can still mm. take it from where you like. You just have to run for ages. Have to have yeah. a hundred yard run up or something. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, on that note, I think that's a good good place to end it. So I guess uh, all we have to do now is end with a dad joke, don't we? Yeah, it's, it's got to be your turn by now. I've never ever done a dad joke in my life, but. One came to me and I thought, you know, all three of us are dads now. We've got to spread the load of dad jokes. You did your intro for the first time today, which was very good, by the way. So I'm now going to attempt my first ever created dad joke. We need like a, we need in post to put like a big sound effect or some kind of sting, don't we? Yeah, instead of dad joke, this is a dad's joke. Yeah. And here, here we go. What do you call Jim Carrey making a cup of tea? Go on, all right. Bruise Almighty. (laughs) (laughs) Bruise Almighty. Anyway, bye everyone.
Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.